Hey guys, and welcome back to Role Players Are Wonderful, the uh, mini series we do occasionally where we enter a world of magic and mystery created by my friend Bruce Reed Robinson II. Yeah, we had a tragedy befall us uh, this time when we went to get started. So uh, we recorded a three hour long session of us getting back into uh, role playing. Uh, it was maybe going to be broke up to two or three episodes. Um, unfortunately, there were technical difficulties, and uh, Bruce and Joe and Alex's half of things were not recorded. You only got me and little Alex. I have written up like a a summary of what happened, sort of in the style of the uh, Halloween episodes, and I'm just going to read those to you, and that'll be an episode here, and then next week we're going to get back into it with Real Role Players Are Wonderful, Chapter 2, Into the West. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, I apologize if you don't like this. I guess it's like an audiobook kind of thing. And if you want, if you're an insane person that wants to hear it, you, I guess I'll put up on Patreon the one-sided uh, recording I have of just me and little Alex talking um, to people that aren't there. Uh, so here we go. I guess I'll get started now. Character sheets and swords and sorcery And we made a show cause being friends is neat Epic quests and treasure chests And all that because we have to admit Role players are wonderful Role players are wonderful Well, let's just fuck around and save the world Mira Marcone said, mangling some slang he had heard recently in the White Oaks Tavern. Ronan Shadow looked to Pop-Tart MacGuffin and Jerry Jim Barcia each in turn. Pop-Tart nodded gravely, and Jerry smiled and dipped his head, picking a slightly out-of-place high note on his guitar. Ronan stepped in front of a seemingly random section of the wall there in the ruins of the cellar of the Iron Dong and said a mystical word under her breath. With a grinding noise, the wall moved aside, revealing another set of stairs leading deeper into the earth. Ronan, Poptar, and Jerry disappeared down the stairs. I guess we follow him, huh? Mero asked his friends. Maybe we should roll on it, Barbara said. What are you talking about? Pommel asked. Keth would have rolled his eyes if he had any and instead walked down the stairs. The rest of the crew followed him. Torches flickered along the walls of the secret sub-basement, revealing a storeroom full of chests and shelves with interesting items the gang couldn't quite see in the steady light. In the middle of the room were four packs with neatly folded suits set on top of them. Ronan looked from person to person as she told them about their mission. The air elemental is being held somewhere far to the west of here, in a city called Lyland. But getting there won't be easy. The Westlands lie to the west for many miles. It's an inhospitable desert. It isn't devoid of life, but almost everything that lives there exists only to kill anyone foolish enough to enter. Well, that sucks, Pommel said. Ronan smirked at her. Indeed, it does. We won't send you out there without the supplies you'll need to survive, though. I've put together a pack for each of you containing supplies and provisions that would last you weeks in the desert. You each have a suit of desert gear to keep the wind and sand away from your skin without being too hot. I gave Barbara the tent to carry. I hope you don't mind. That's okay. Pommel will help, Barbara said. Hey, where's Brian's suit? He gestured to the cat hanging from the blood-caked black papoose hanging from his chest. You're going to take a cat into the desert? Pop-Tart asked incredulously. 
What else would I do with him? He needs me. Pop-Tart has some cats, Barbara, Pommel said. Or maybe we could get that guy we sold the stones to to watch him. He has a bunch of cats. Barbara shook his head back and forth. No way. Brian's coming with me. Ronan continued. I've also enchanted flasks for each of you. They're empty now, but once you fill them with a liquid once, they will refill themselves with that same liquid endlessly. I suggest you fill them with water so you don't have to carry any. While she spoke, Keth pulled his flask out of the pack and filled it with a skin of wine he had in his kit. We only really need one flask of water if you think about it, he explained. Yeah, but I don't want to get you guys' germs on me, Pommel said. I guess I'll fill my flask with milk, though, for Brian. Barbara lit up the room with a huge grin for his best friend, Pommel. That's a good idea, Pommel. How about I put a healing potion in my flask? Ronan frowned. That's... I guess that would work. I don't know. Healing potions are enchanted themselves. I don't know how it will work with the spell on the flask. Marrow sighed and took on the great sacrifice for the rest of the team. Alright, I guess I'll be an adult here and put water in my flask. I haven't had a good cup of coffee in this town yet anyway. It isn't just the flasks, Ronan continued. Pop-Tart, Jerry, and I talked it over, and we've decided you probably won't be able to complete this mission without a little more help. Of course, we've all got responsibilities here in Gingerminge, so we can't come along and babysit you. Instead, we are going to entrust each of you with one of the most powerful magical items we've come across back in our adventuring days. Marrow, Pommel, and Barbara shot each other excited looks. Keth kind of just hung out and looked dignified or whatever. We know you're going to have to do a lot of fast-talking and trickery if you're going to have a chance of obtaining the Wind Elemental. And since talking is sort of your whole thing, Marrow, we're going to give you the Tome of Leadership and Influence. It's a magical book that will give you a permanent sense of honesty, trustworthiness, and attractiveness to everyone around you if you study it carefully, Ronan explained. Jerry cut in from the back of the room. Like, say for instance you were able to give different aspects of your body or personality a specific rating, right? And then Ronan says you've got to study the book, see? Yeah, so you could think of it like you've got to read this magic book for 48 hours and it will increase your quote-unquote charisma personality traits, so to speak, plus two points. Ronan rolled her eyes at Jerry and went on. This gift is more of a loan, really. It recharges once every hundred years. And while a human like you probably won't live that long, I plan to. So I'm going to be wanting another use of the book somewhere down the line. It sounds like I've been given a homework assignment, Marrow grumbled. Thanks, though. For you, Barbara, we have a rust-colored bag of tricks, Ronan explained, handing it to the huge half-orc barbarian. Uh, thanks for the purse, I guess, Barbara said. Ronan shook her head and laughed. It's not a purse. It's a very powerful magical item. Three times each day, you can reach inside, pull out a furry ball, and throw it. Once you do, it will transform into one of eight random animals. You could end up with a rat, an owl, a mastiff, a goat, a giant goat, a giant boar, a lion, or a brown bear. At the end of the day, they will disappear. Wow, it's almost like back home on the zoo. Barbara stroked the bag of tricks affectionately. Okay, that's pretty interesting, but let's talk about something really important. What am I getting? Pommel asked impatiently. Ronan held out a silver medallion on a chain. This is a mirror of life trapping. You hold it up and say the activation work you choose to invoke it. Then, anyone who looks into the mirror will be sucked into one of twelve extra-dimensional cells until you release them or the mirror is broken. To release any of them, you activate it and say their name. 
If you fill all 12 cells and try to trap another person, one of the cells will be emptied at random to accommodate your new prisoner. You can also activate it to speak with one of the people or creatures trapped within without releasing them. Please be very careful with this. I've never been able to find a mirror of life trapping so small before. Wow, I'm really going to fuck some people up with this thing, Pommel said as she put the mirror around her neck. Finally, Kath, for you I've affixed a gem of true seeing to a pair of goggles. When you wear these, you will have your sight back after a fashion. You will be able to see secret doors hidden by magic, enchanted items, and see into the ethereal plane. Basically, you will be able to see the magic around you. Ronan put the goggles into Keth's hands. Keth put the goggles on and looked at Ronan with surprise. Why, darling, you're beautiful, he told her. I enchanted those goggles, Keth. I know you only see my magic. Still, I love a good flatterer. Suddenly, the torches around them were almost put out as a gust of wind rushed down the stairs. Keth turned his head in their direction and saw strong magic drifting down like a fog. Quickly, grab your supplies. You may not have much time, Pop-Tart snapped at them. Yeah, man, some bad shit's about to go down. I guess it's a good thing my end is already done for, Jerry said. It struck Merrill that this was the first time yet he'd heard Jerry stop noodling on his guitar in the entire time he knew him, and it gave him a sinking feeling in his stomach. Everyone rushed up the stairs into the street. Villagers all up and down the road had left their homes and businesses to see what was going on. A black tornado was approaching the town of Gingerminge at a frightening pace, but the air was still. It looked unnatural and disturbing. The onlookers rushed back into their homes to get to the cellars as it quickly became clear it was headed straight for the town. Ready yourselves, this could get ugly, Poptar said as he drew long, deadly daggers from within his cloak. The tornado flew across the town in a wild, haphazard line, but it seemed to disperse as it came closer to them, until when it was upon them. From the remains of the black tornado, a tall, elven-looking Azada stepped out onto the street. Black wisps of cloud floated on the air around him as he stood tall and heroically. Hail, adventurers! I understand you have found a very dangerous artifact. Give it to me now, or die, the Azada said in a haughty voice. Who the hell are you? asked Mero. I am Brilani, an Azada of the Feywild and Lord of the Wind. I have become stuck in your frankly quite provincial plane, and I have been hired by the Fire Lords of the North to acquire the Earth Elemental you now possess for safe passage back to the Feywilds. So yeah, like I was saying, give me the elemental and I won't painfully pull the air from your lungs and snatch it from your lifeless corpse. The Feywilds, huh? Are you from the north side or the south side? asked Pommel. The Azada's brow furrowed in puzzlement. Uh, the south side, I guess? We focus more on the east and west of my plane. I'm more from the southwest side, I'd say. Oh hey, our friend Keth is from the Feywilds. You know this guy, Keth? asked Barbara. Keth shook his head no from his kung fu pose, ready for battle. I don't know this asshole. The Feywilds is a big place. It's ridiculous to think we would all know each other. This is all irrelevant. Give me the Earth Elemental or suffer the consequences. The air became thick with energy around them as Brilani began to call the wind in preparation. Come on, man. Why kill us? We're also working on sending our friend Keth here home. You could join up and help us instead of the fire assholes, and we could send both of you back. Pommel attempted to reason. Brelani laughed. That's a kind offer from you. Seven mercenaries and cloaks looted from the bodies of bandits. But I tend to think the Fire Kingdom, with their armies and sorcerers, and just a whole ton of gold, you guys. They got so much gold. They're much more likely to be able to back up their claims. 
Raylani pointed to Miro Marcone with one hand, and as he did, a wave of wind passed over the party. You, give me the artifact now. I'm tired of talk. Fair enough, Miro said. I don't have it, though. Hey, Pommel, show the man the item. Miro waggled his eyebrows meaningfully at Pommel. She reached into her cloak and said, Oh yeah, check this thing out, Braylani. She activated the mirror of life trapping. Braylani's eyes never wavered from Miro. She's got some kind of trick over there, right? No matter. I know you have the elemental human. And as I said, I have tired of talk. The wind Braylani had been gathering around himself flew to Miro, knocking him into the air and suspending him there. All the wind was sucked from his lungs, and ghostly fingers pulled at the earth amulet secured around his neck. He held the chain with both hands but felt the strain and knew he didn't have long. Enough! screamed Ronan's shadow. Pop-Tart and Jerry leapt forward to confront Braylani. Ronan gathered her magic to her quickly and incanted a word that skittered across the four adventurers' minds like opening a curtain to an overwhelming sunny day. Mero, Pommel, Keth, and Barbara looked away from the sun, feeling sand beneath them and sweltering heat all around them. Strong disorientation passed over all of them. Instead of being in the town square of Gingerminge in the dead of night, the midday sun of the desert beat down on them. Mero's hand went to his chest, finding the earth amulet there. Well, thanks for the assist there, Ronan, he said to no one in particular. Where are we? Barbara asked stupidly. We're in the wasteland, Pommel said. She gestured to their pets. Good thing Ronan remembered to send these. We should get our desert gear on. After they were geared up and had their bags situated on their backs, Keth put on his magic goggles and surveyed the landscape. What's that thing over there? Nearby, there was an arrangement of stones poking out of the sand in an artificial way. They let off the magical glow to Keth's goggles. The gang walked across the short expanse of sand to it. Once they were within the circle of stones, they could see that the five stones pushing out of the earth were statues of fingers. Many yards away, another statue rose from the sands, this one clear even from the distance as a head. When considering the size of the fingers and their distance from the head, you can imagine a truly huge statue of a man had once stood in this place, before breaking and becoming buried in the sand of the wasteland. Back off for a second, guys. I'm going to try something, Mero said. He pulled out the amulet and concentrated, standing in the semicircle of stones. From out of the earth at the base of each stone, vines grew, pulling on the stone. The sand also fell away from the semicircle as the statue was raised. Soon, Mero stood on the palm of a giant stone hand, cut off at the wrist. In the center of the palm, there was an altar that pulsed with green light as Mero concentrated. Mero, that altar seems to be multiplying the power of the Earth Elemental, Keth explained as he studied it with a gem of true seeing. Yeah, it's pretty good. I was trying to get the statue animated to walk us across the desert, but I guess Earth means more like vines and shit than statue stones. We've got so much desert to walk through, you guys. Maybe we should stop playing with rocks and get moving, Pommel complained. Mero wiped sweat from his brow. It's too damn hot to go anywhere right now. I always heard if you're traveling through the desert, it's best to sleep during the day and walk at night. He took a big swig from his never-ending water flask and passed it around to the party. Keth shook his head no and handed it back to Mero when his turn came, instead taking a long drink from his own never-ending wine flask. I could sleep, Barbara yawned as he began setting up his tent in the shade of one of the stone fingers. He had to nudge Brian the cat out of the shade for a moment, who yowled angrily, barely wanting to move in the punishing desert sun. Pommel swung the magical mirror on his chain thoughtfully. You know, Barbara, maybe it would be a good idea if we put Brian in the mirror, 
so he doesn't have to deal with all this desert travel. From what I know about these sorts of things, it isn't bad in there. It's just like going to sleep in one instant and then waking up again when you get released. Also, we didn't get a chance to pick up any cat food on our way out of town. Barbara picked up Brian and held him to his chest. With his immense skill in animal handling, he could sense Brian's great discomfort. Alright, but I get to take him out and play with him whenever I want. Sure thing. Okay, kitty, look over here, Pommel said, activating the mirror and snapping your fingers. Brian looked into the mirror and was gone. The adventurers set up the tent and went to sleep as best they could, each taking a turn at watch to protect from dangers. Marrow spent his watch setting the tome of leadership and influence. The day passed uneventfully. Well, I guess we better get moving. This is going to be a really long walk, Barbara said as he put away his supplies. I've got an idea for that, Marrow said. He approached the stone palm and laid one hand on the altar and held the earth amulet with the other. The green light pulsed again as Marrow used the power of the elemental. The vines that had grown the day before to pull the palm out of the sand were now withering after a full day in the sun of the desert. But as Marrow worked, they became a lush green and shot out to take the shape of a viney sleigh, with vine ropes and harnesses leading off of it. Now, Barbara, let's see what we can pull out of that bag of yours. Barbara broke into a huge grin. Hey, great idea! He reached into his rusty bag of tricks and threw out three fuzzy balls. The first one took the shape of an owl, who hooted and flew to Barbara's shoulder amiably. The second grew and grew into a mastiff, who barked and nuzzled Barbara's hand. The third became a lion, who roared and lay at Barbara's feet. Barbara got the mastiff and lion into the harnesses of the sled, with the death skill of a man raised on a family zoo, and the crew climbed aboard. All through that first uneventful night, they rode over the sand dunes, idly passing the time in conversation, or occasionally having Marrow read aloud from the Tome of Leadership and Influence. Although Marrow could feel the power of the tome work on him, when the others heard what the book actually said, it sounded like complete nonsense. Success is learning that losing a few battles can help you win a war. I win because I'm not afraid of losing. Don't be a go-getter, become a gone-gottener. Someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. The biggest mistake a small business can make is to think like a small business. Hustle until your haters ask if you're hiring. Mero read. And this is somehow supposed to make you more charismatic? Keth asked incredulously. When morning came, they set up camp and slept through the day again. The animals that had pulled their sleigh faded away on the wind. That night, Barbara pulled out the owl, a rat, and a brown bear from the bag. The rat immediately ran away, but Barbara got the bear harnessed to the sled. The owl was starting to become friendly with everyone, and Keth named her Marshmallow. They got moving again making great time in the desert. In the distance to the west, they began to be able to see a black cloud that slowly became closer each day, although they could tell they still had a great journey before they came to it. It was exactly in the direction that Ronan had told them they should be going. The next morning, they found a stony outcropping that made great shade for a camp, but as they began to get settled in to sleep, the ground began to shake. They climbed to the top of the outcropping and saw a gigantic monster trundling their way across the desert on eight legs. It looked like a humongous scorpion, and it had obviously also spotted them. Mero used his bard performance skill to take the doubt from his friends' minds and ready them for battle. Keth attacked the beast with a flurry of blows, avoiding its stinger and pinchers. Barbara took a great swing at the monster and made contact with his axe, unfortunately coating himself in burning acidic ichor. The monster attacked Barbara directly, giving him a nasty pinch. 
Pommel stepped up and attacked the monster with her magic missiles, killing the now very beaten up scorpion with brain-melting sorcery. They searched the countryside carefully to watch for other dangers, but the sun was beginning to rise and they couldn't find anything to worry about, so they settled into sleep. After the battle, they all felt a bit stronger, if you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, I mean they leveled up. After a few more uneventful nights, during one of which Barbara had to pull the sleigh with a giant goat, they came upon the ruins of a ghost town. The streets were covered in sand, and in every building could be found the dried out husks of corpses. In the town inn across the hearth, someone had painted, Beware the man with no name in blood. Beside this, they could find no clue as to who had caused this, although it was obvious a large struggle had taken place. The town had been picked over of anything useful except one half-empty bottle of liquor Barbara found in the rubble of the inn. Although it was a decidedly macabre scene, it seemed like a fairly good place to make camp, so they settled in a barn they found that was free of corpses. Yeah, I know, Meryl. I was there, Pommel said. Shut the fuck up, I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm sorry, Meryl said. I don't get a lot of chances to practice classic bard shit, just telling stories and whatnot, so I'm trying to keep my skills sharp. I appreciate the effort, friend, and you certainly make us all sound heroic, but Pommel is right. It's boring as hell to have somebody tell you what happened this morning, especially when this ghost town sucks so much ass, Keth explained gently. Barbara snored. All right, you guys don't have to be dicks about it, Meryl Marcone said as he pulled his blanket over his head and went to sleep. All right, that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get back to regular episodes next week. And thank you, as always, Andrew Clotworthy for making the beautiful music you can hear in the background of this episode at Clotwo on Twitter. Thank you. Joe McGirl for being yourself and being our good friend uh, and coming up with the story that the this was based on in a way uh, at Joe McGirl. Thank you, Bruce Reed Robinson, of course, for coming up with the story for real. Uh, thank you, Alex at Socket Quest on Twitter uh, again for helping out and uh, talk to you next week. Bye bye.